All right, hi everyone, and uh, welcome to another episode of Ethics as the World Tomorrow, where we speak to thought leaders, uh, business leaders, uh, some uh, academics as well, and of course, many practitioners who have been and who continue to be uh, in the scene in Islamic finance, ethical finance, sometimes uh, technology, and even other industries like uh, travel and tourism. Today, I am very, very pleased and uh, honored to have uh, someone that I have learned a lot from and I hope to continue to learn from, inshallah. We have Mr. Daul Vikri, uh, who has agreed to join us and spend the next 20 minutes with us. How are you, Mr. Daul? I'm very well indeed, and thank you so much for the, uh, uh, the invitation to join you. Assalamu alaikum, everyone, and Ramadan Kareem. Walaikum salam. Thank you so much. So we'll start, we'll jump straight into it. Maybe before we go into some of the questions and topics, uh, could you just uh, spend a few uh, minutes or yeah, just to share a little bit about your background for those who are not yet familiar with you? Oh, okay, sure. I'll, I'll try and make it very succinct. Um, well, I'm retired now, although I'm busy in my, my late 60s and my career has, has, has been a, a, a mixture of conventional finance, Islamic finance, and consultancy and advisory. Um, in recent years, some of you may know me as the president and CEO of, of INSEAF, but I retired from there in 2017, uh, nearly three years ago. And I've been running my own advisory uh, company uh, for a number of years, but uh, it business picked up again uh, when I retired. And I spent quite a bit of time I'm uh, advising companies, uh, one, of the, one of which is the ESIS group, in which I'm, I'm proud to be a Shura member, um, but I'm also active in an advisory capacity for a number of fintech startups, um, uh, not just uh, here in Malaysia, but also in the Middle East and in the UK. Uh, and I'm a partner for Gateway Global, which is the world's only Sharia-compliant uh, professional advisory services firm. So that gives you uh, a little bit of uh, background about me. Over, over to you, Umar. All right. Thank you so much. Um, can, can you share also a little bit more about how uh, things have gone ever since uh, the COVID period? I mean, you engage with a lot of different uh, organizations and clients. How, how are things? Everything yeah. Since the COVID um, came? I mean, I, I, I work from home, so I'm, I'm fairly familiar, although I'm not technologically that savvy. But... I was pretty familiar with Skype and Zoom conferences beforehand, except, you know, that's accelerated. So I'd say I probably do double or triple the volume uh, of daily calls. Um, what, what has really changed for me, uh, you know, apart from the fact that we've been through a uh, lockdown, so I, I got used to staying at home and even exercising at home, walking up the stairs for an hour every day. Um, two things have really changed. You know, one is that, that, um, there's been much more uh, communication using electronic media uh, and not just sort of catch-up calls and, and management calls, um, but a lot of what I would call insightful groupings, which have been, um, you know, stimulated by the crisis and an exchange of ideas. And, and I've been, um, you know, asked to participate in a, a, a number of calls uh, which have been developed by groups that I'm associated with, the Responsible Finance and Investment Foundation, for example, uh, the United Nations, um, the World Bank, and so on, where 
interesting groups of people have got together, you know, to talk about uh, talk about the topics. The second thing, which I think I've, I've really noticed, is that, and it's partly, you know, the, the, the COVID-19 situation is partly the fact that we're in Ramadan as well, and that usually happens to me during Ramadan, and what, what it is that usually happens, you reflect quite a bit, and because your, your body's not processing food, you tend to have a, a great deal more clarity of thought. So one of the benefits I've had um, since this started is being able to get more engaged in some of the you know the writing uh, that, that I do to be able to exchange news uh, news and views and uh, one thing I've been working on with a, uh, a lawyer actually in in the United States um, uh, who was very close to the former head of the Fed Paul Walker who passed away sadly last year um, we've been talking about how we actually measure the impact of social capital and human capital um, on a balance sheet as opposed to just looking at the accounting aspect. So a great deal of research has gone into that. Um, similarly, I've been involved with a, a fintech company which is headquartered in the Netherlands, but actually is run by Saudis, um, which is looking at digitized assets as an alternative to using fiat currency. Uh, and I've had time to you know, reflect and think about not just the formula, but what has happened is more people are paying attention to new solutions as a result of the crisis. You know, there is a burning platform, and what I'm certainly noticing around the world is a greater willingness to listen to what was probably considered, considered the lunatic fringe ideas three months ago are not quite so lunatic these days. And that I find very, very stimulating. So a great deal of collaboration is happening, a great deal of exchange of thoughts. And from somebody who's practiced and been involved in Islamic finance now for close to 30 years, what I am impressed with is the, the level of attention that we're getting from the Muslim world with a real interest in, 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 um, in Islam, the social uh, side of Islam, the social finance sides of Islam. So that gives you some background. I'm, I'm actually quite excited by, um, uh, you know, what has happened as a result of, uh, of the COVID-19 situation. Thank you for that. I mean, um, for most of us who are not involved in the, dis you know, in this kind of higher level discussions, it can seem that nothing much is happening in Islamic social finance except for you know, just donation drives, and there's a lot of donation drives during Ramadan, especially now with the COVID as well. So, um, could you could you share a little bit more? Uh, maybe if you don't, if you can't go into detail, that's fine. But yeah, what what are significant things that you see changing in the Islamic yeah. social finance space? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but, I think there are donation drives, and and, and I think you, you know you've got to think about things, um, and and I'm encouraging people to think about things in a uh, you know in in, in a in a, a different context. Um, let, let me describe this. I mean, I think the contexts are sort of short-term, medium-term, long-term. By short-term, I mean one to six months. And, and people are focusing very much on, on fix the core. So that's a health issue. And it's also about people making a living and, and finding the balance of that is extremely difficult. And there's a lot of you know, discussion, uh, political discussion, economic discussion, uh, and a lot of brain power going on in not only this country, Malaysia, where I'm based, um, but also elsewhere in the world, where 
there is a requirement um, to you know fix the problem, you know, flatten the curve, um, uh, you, you know, worry about how you re-kickstart the economy and so on. The second area is medium term, where um, and that I'm looking at you know a period six months out and up to five years because I think there's a recognition that the situation there is, two things need to be stressed from my perspective and the discussions I've had. One is there will be no return to normal. And I'll repeat that, there will be no return to normal. Therefore, we have to manage and adapt to whatever the new normal is and, and the, the, the playing fields are shifting. So there is a great deal of discussion going on um, in the second area, what I call improve the economy. And this is where um, there are some very lively discussions going on with regards to what the Islamic solutions are. How do we leverage zakat? How do we leverage wakat? How do we leverage sadaqah? How do we actually come up with or uh, you know, apply elements of um, uh, Islamic social finance and the Islamic economy and everything we've known uh, in Islamic uh, finance for, for many years around risk sharing? How can those things be applied? Um, what are the examples? Um, please, can we look at the case studies? And, and things that we've been you know, pushing for two or three years um, uh, and fallen pretty much on deaf ears um, are now starting to be listened to in terms of examples of projects. Uh, you know, there's one where I worked on with the International Federation of Red Cross in Kenya, which mobilized Zaka money from Perlis in Malaysia. Uh, three, nearly three years ago now, uh, well, two and a half years ago. And um, that effectively, uh, a $1 million donation, I'll do the numbers you know, quickly, or rounded numbers, actually created $20 million of capital, which got recycled in the community. And wow. it, it provided, you know, water, clean water, using solar pumping stations, and it provided a new cash crop, which actually, you know, regenerated the lives of over a million people in, in one of the counties in Kenya. And people are now interested in how did you apply that? Now, the third area, and I was looking at this in time phase, so I'll repeat, you know, area one, one to six months, fix the core. Six to 60 months, five years out, improve the economy. And five years plus, we've actually got to be looking at now, and this is tough, five years plus are the game changers. In other words, we've got to be investing now in the things which are going to change the game in a world where we don't really know what it's going to look like. So there's been a lot of um, detailed discussion that I've been involved in about the application of artificial intelligence, you know, how that can be used. Um, I was involved in a, in a live interview, I think on Tuesday of this week, three days, ago, Dr. Dal Baka, um, uh, where we spent probably 50% of our interview talking about the application of artificial intelligence in not just Sharia, but in terms of supply chain, economics, and data, and so on. Um, but the point I'm making here and the discussions I'm having at strategic level, uh, which I'm privileged to be, you know, be part of, identifying the game changer areas, and AI is certainly one of them, um, and looking at how we, um, you know, regionalize um, things like food supply chain, food security, um, as well as try and get more and more countries onto, I'll call it the same platform, not necessarily mean the technological platform, but enhancing 
greater levels of co collaboration at, tree, at country level. So those are the areas that I can you know, describe further. We've got to focus on fixing the core. We've got to sort out the challenges that we have. We've also got to improve the economy going forward because you know, we're, we're in a recession and it will get worse. And so we've got to look at what, what is sensible, what could be applied, what will work. But we've also got to invest in the future. Even though money may be tight, we've got to invest in those things which are considered today to be the game changers. And we've got to promote that with the young brains and the young people to now, uh, who are around now, to actually say, this is where you should be focusing. It's, it's encouraging the new ideas. It's providing the vehicle for new ideas. It's providing the funding for that kind of innovation. All right, well, that's, that's very insightful. And it's, it's great to know uh, that there's all these efforts. Uh, I mean, as you mentioned, efforts there and discussions have been there. But now, you know, the, 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 those in uh, control or those who have some form of authority are starting to recognize and accept these ideas, whereas there was no impetus to do so in the past. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say that you're, you're absolutely right. And, and some of the you know, introspection and reflection, you know, which I've done personally, and also with, you know, with other members of various groups, is that the global financial crisis, whilst uh, you know, an economic crisis, um, Islamic finance overall did not respond to it. I mean, it wasn't that badly affected or impacted, but the ideas that we had didn't get introduced. There was a sort of race to get back to normal and, and what happened was that the race to get back to normal just meant printing of money and an escalation of debt. And look at where we are now. Um, I would say today, I mean, the economic crisis is falling out of the health and social crisis, which is, you know, which is happening. There seems to be um, a good deal more discussion around can we actually help fix this by using alternative models and there's a uh, you know depending on who you speak to and there's a sort of range if I can describe it you know from left to right uh, you know the range is out there from people who are saying um, at one extreme no we've got to revert to normal there's a textbook response and let's you know use that playbook which I don't subscribe to and at the far extreme um, is well let's throw away the you know the old system is completely broken let's throw it away and start from scratch again which you know clearly is is would be very very challenging but most of the the, the good thought and discussion and action is taking part uh, taking place in the middle ground where people are taking a very serious look at well let's see what has worked um, you know, the example of the project in Kenya I gave is, you know, that's efficient and effective mobilization of capital. You know, do we have to be dependent on creating more debt, which is now being seen to polarize economies with, you know, yeah. the rich getting richer and the poor getting much poorer. And here, you know, there's a recognition that, that uh, the social impact of SMEs and microfinance type companies is fundamental for most economies around the world. What do we have to do to redirect or direct that capital in an efficient way? And, and there will be varying solutions and varying degrees of acceptance. But what I find very encouraging is that things that were just dismissed um, after the global financial crisis because we had the Islamic word around it are now being listened to because there is a burning platform and people are prepared to listen to a well-reasoned argument. Um, and that well-reasoned argument, uh, I, I would say, you know, ha has to promote 
the values of Islamic finance, but we, we have to de-emphasize the Islamic bit. And I don't mean by that that we walk away from the Makassid al-Sharia. It's just that we don't talk about Islamic. We actually talk about solutions, social finance solutions. Um, so re remove this, I mean, re remove or reduce those Arabic terms, those alien terms yeah, to most people, even Muslims. Exactly. And be, yeah. Exactly right. And, and be much clearer about what we mean. And, and uh, you know, I'm talking to this guy from the Volcker Foundation in New York um, just two weeks ago um, who, you know, ha had heard about Islamic finance and is a very smart guy. I mean, he you know, multiple PhDs and whatever he does in terms of his research. Um, but he really got switched on to what was being said in the discussion group and said, gosh, you know, I never knew this. And, and the reason, and he admitted, the reason I never knew it is because it had the Islamic term. And therefore, I, I immediately associated with, A, this can't be for me because I'm not a Muslim. And B, I just hear such bad press about Islam and Muslims that I'm not really, you know, serious about finding out any answers. And all of a sudden, you know, he's been catapulted into exploring more. And, and frankly, I can't feed him enough material right now. Now, you know, that's, that's influence at an individual level. Um, but the more people we get on board who understand that the values that we're espousing are not dissimilar from the values of many other religions, you know, they're not uncommon, you know, preservation of life, the objectives of the Magasid al-Sharia, et cetera, um, are, are common. And we, you know, we have to remember, you know, the similarities of the Ibrahimic faiths of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. There's a common foundation there. And, and now is the time to, you know, reestablish that foundation around and collaborate in uh, in the context of a crisis which is not going to go away with a vaccine um, um, you know the vaccine may protect us but we're we're actually going to and i'm no medical expert but i listen to my friends in the medical profession next time and b what is even more compelling is that those people who have suffered from the virus um, aren't actually building up that many antibodies. So if you've suffered from it once, you're quite likely to get it again. So there's no guarantee there's this talk about the, the herd immunity is from the medical profession standpoint, I won't say a nonsense because it probably, there is a little bit of truth in it, but because the antibodies are not being created, there is no uh, particular um, assurance that have you if you've had it once you won't get it again or indeed if you have a vaccine which in a way gives you you know a, a mild dose of the uh, of, of the uh, of the virus um, that it will be you know effective so therefore um, the distancing process the uh, sanitation of both oral and, and, and you know fingers and hands and whatever else are going to have to be maintained for some time and we as a humanity yeah. are going to have to adapt to a completely new modus operandi yes, yes. and that brings me back to one of the earlier points you mentioned which is the one to six months uh, immediate restart focus and then six months to 60 months and then thereafter where yeah. the world has changed beyond you know maybe even to some extent beyond uh, comprehension for most people which is why the discussion needs to happen now on what the world will be like at that point in time in yeah. future yeah. Uh, so so um, and you said there will be no new normal uh, it, w it will not go back to normal it will be a new normal uh, so this normal I mean a lot of people are used to 
doing things the same way or, or not used to uh, a rapid speed of uh, change, right? But this new normal that we have, does it also, is it a normal which is more fluid? That means things are changing, uh, although it's normal, but it will keep changing. The answer to that is, um, I don't know the answer, but I, <laughs> I, can, I, I, I can tell you what I think about that, you know, based on Listen. what I've been thinking through and, and what I've been listening to others, it, is that it will be fluid. And, and that, you know, the challenge we have, people, inherently humans don't like change. They like to get into a pattern, they like to wake up in the morning and I shouldn't be speaking about this during Ramadan, you know, have their cup of coffee, boiled egg or nasi lemak or whatever they're going to do, and then at 8 o'clock they go and do something else. Um, that probably isn't going, we're not going to return to that kind of environment. But if, if, And I, I look at that, you know, lightheartedly. But the reality is that we're going to have to adapt to an environment where um, social distancing um, and the implications of that uh, we're going to have to manage you know, in terms of how we conduct our business, you know, how we, how do we conduct an AGM? Uh, how do we, um, you know, how do we go shopping? How do we socialize? We're going to have to figure out new ways of, of doing that. I think most importantly will be how do we do education? Um, and uh, I was in a discussion group just yesterday with some people in the Middle East and in, and, and in, 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 in Europe and the US around returning to school and and some of the things that have been applied where in some countries you know primary school kids are going back to school but they've actually managed through play uh, and association to actually get them to perform social distancing and and there's some quite interesting experimentation going on and there isn't time on this call to describe it but um i, I would refute an argument to say you're not going to get four-year-old kids or five-year old kids to practice social distancing the answer is yes they can and yes they are it's just the way you educate and train them but these are the things we're going to have to think about we're going to have to think about you know paying visits locally uh, going on holiday the whole entertainment industry you know going to a concert going to a lecture going to a conference going on vacation making yep. a, a day trip somewhere you know where do we eat um, you know the con the great concept of uh, you know the, the Asian buffet um, is is probably over because that's where the germs or the you know the virus gets circulated. So these are the things that we've really been thinking through and 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 adapt to. Yeah. And the reality I think is that we're going to have you know second waves, third waves, mutations, and whatever else. And you know until we find some form of um, eradication, you know, either through um, uh, you know a vaccine or whatever else, then we're going to have to remain fairly adaptive to changes in standard operating procedures, just to put it bluntly, um, and making sure that we police and maintain that um, as effectively as we can. You know, um, I mean, I, I, I heard yes, you know, yesterday or the last couple of days, the phrase started being used by, by some very eminent leaders um, uh, in, in the health industry. Uh, and it, it went just along these lines, you know, um, I'm not safe until everybody else is safe. Um, and if you stop and think about that, you know, your actions today, where you go, who you interact with, what you do, um, yeah, has to be changed. You know, personally, I'm, 
I'm reasonably comfortable at home. I can do stuff from home. I did have to go out yesterday to do some stuff, but I was extremely careful in terms of social distancing. Um, I avoided crowds completely, et cetera, et cetera. So everyone is going to have to adapt to that new normal, and the new normal, the goalposts are for sure going to move. So change will be very constant. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, uh, moving a, a bit, you know, a little bit more into technology, or maybe before that, Islamic finance. Uh, one thing I want to catch uh, from what you mentioned earlier is about the response of non-Muslims or people not familiar with Islamic finance and how they have, you know, uh, they seem to be more, much more receptive to it when they understand it. Right? So I have two questions, and uh, you know, we don't have that much time. Uh, so hopefully, you know, we, we can uh, get. Uh, enough information from you in this short period of time. So firstly, it's about Islamic finance. Is it truly universal? And uh, second thing is that the, for fintech in Islamic finance, or fintech in general, right? Uh, how does, does the, the, the challenges or new technologies, uh, how does it fit in or work with or complement uh, with the incumbents? Or you know, should it just do its own thing? And then eventually there'll be some kind of consolidation. Well, the first question is a simple yes or no answer. The answer is yes, it is universal. Um, but we've got to communicate the, the, the message more clearly. And I think on the fintech front, I, it's not as easy as a yes or no answer. Um, I, my experience tells me that the innovation is going to come from fintech and Islamic fintech. It's not going to come from the financial institutions. Therefore, um, the fintech companies need to drive forward as far and as fast as they can, can go using rapid prototyping as quickly as possible. And the financial institutions will need to pick up on that. I think um, trying to get the financial institutions to effectively you know, change quickly um, is rather like, and this is the you know, well-worn phrase, of getting the super tanker to you know, stop on a dime whereas it takes five kilometers to stop. You know, it's not that they don't have good people or capable people, it's just the whole infrastructure is not designed for rapid prototyping. And so therefore, I would encourage fintech companies, I'm doing quite a bit of work, as, as you're aware, with, with five or six fintech companies around the world, where they're, they're basically moving and experimenting every day. In fact, one company, I'm on their daily management call every morning. Um, you know, where we're feed, feedback and we're looking at, you know, the changes which are coming out and we're responding to that and, and seeing how we go. So the answer to the second question is, I think the fintech and the Islamic fintech companies should just, just go for it. All right. Brilliant. Thank you so much. So, uh, I mean, my, my view is we try to work, but that should not stop us from doing what we want to do. Like we try to engage, we try yeah, to work. Yeah. I mean, collaboration is key. I mean, don't, don't ignore others. I think you, you have to reach out your hand and then you yeah. have to collaborate. We're, we're, nobody's an island in this city. But don't yeah, wait for them to yeah. make things happen. Yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah. Right, last, last question, bonus question for all the viewers <laughs> and, <laughs> and listeners out there. Uh, what would be advice to young people? You know, I mean, you've been, you were in education for some time and you engage with a lot of young people still today. What's your advice? Yeah. Just, you know, yeah, I mean, the, the advice I give, and, and, and I, I have four sons, um, one of whom is just finishing education, but is actually going to go on and do medicine. So the, that, you know, that's a good thing to go and do, but not, not everybody's going to be a doctor. 
um, yeah, my advice under this uh, situation, uh, and, and so I would always give, is do something you're passionate about, do something you love. However, um, you are going to have to adapt some more entrepreneurial skills and flexible skills. You know, the, the idea of a career in tourism or in, um, uh, I, I don't know, you know, perhaps in well, supply chain in, in innovation, I think you've got to give some thought to um, what it is you really like doing, but how can you adapt that to a future which is uncertain and prepare yourself for that. I think it's about engagement. I think it's about communication. Um, I don't think it's about you know selecting a career path as we used to do. And I'm of a different generation to you, but you know there were engineers and there were lawyers and there were people who became doctors and the people who became teachers. Um, I, I I think a lot of what we need to do and for young people today is I would encourage active communication and interaction learning skills about how you collaborate, how you rapidly form teams um, with friends or with people who are not friends to exchange ideas and build something and then if it doesn't work, move on to something else. So I would encourage those kind of skills and that will allow you to become adaptable. Um, I don't think it's a simple case of be a lawyer. I think it might be a case of if you want to be a doctor, I think that's a good thing to do. But I think all these things about a career in banking, which is something I wanted to do from about the age of 16, uh, I'm, I'm not sure that's as applicable today as it was 60 odd years ago when I started thinking about it. I think it's about collaboration and maintaining adaptability. Right. Thank you very much. And really, those, those points that you mentioned really resonate with me as well. I've been living this life for a long time, but for many people, this is very, very new. And everybody, yeah. in my opinion, Opinion needs to start thinking you much like an entrepreneur. So yeah. with that, uh, thank you, thank you very much. We are out of time. Uh, we would love to have you for a longer period of time. Maybe we can do a second round. Uh, but Be happy to. It's always a pleasure to talk, Umar, and uh, I hope everybody remains safe and uh, take good care. Assalamualaikum. Waalaikumsalam. Thank you very much.